So I've been struggling a little bit. And when I say that, I mean, what message to preach? So I kind of had this little discussion with God saying, well, God, this is what I want to preach. <laughs> we know how that goes. And God said, well, this is what I want you to preach this morning. And this is what I want you to entitle the message. And it's titled this, From Shame to Fame. Pretty simple, but yet profound. From shame to fame. And the scripture that I'm going to be hanging my hat on this morning is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 34. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 54. If you're with me, can I get an amen? Can I get some kind of noise? I know you're with me this morning. All right. We'll get you guys engaged this morning. So the scripture says, but Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Pretty interesting. Skip down to verse 54. So they arrested him, talking about Jesus, they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed, note, at a distance, at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, come on, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking in the middle of his sentence this morning, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. What I want to talk to you about this morning is shame. The prison of shame that oftentimes, even if you've been a believer for years and years and years and you're a saint, that we build up these walls of shame that we don't want to expose them to anyone, anyone let alone God. We see this at first in, in, in the first scripture with Peter. Jesus prophesied. Jesus said, Peter, I don't care what you say. I don't care how much you know the word. I don't care how much you know me or how much you walk with me. You are still going to deny me. Not once, not twice, but thrice, three times you're going to deny me. And you're going to walk at a distance. No, nah, man, I ain't going to do that. But then we see at the end when the rooster crowed, scripture said he walked away weeping. He was in shame. Of what he had done. You ever had that person in your life that said, man, don't do it. And you do it anyway. And then all of a sudden that shame and that guilt just come over your life. Like, man, you told me it was going to happen and it still happened anyway. And oftentimes we like to say, man, if I was Peter, I wouldn't have done that. I, if I was walking with Jesus in the flesh, how could you deny him? People deny him all the time. But take heart. Because when we're going to get to the end of the story here. But see, it's easy to get trapped in this prison of shame. It's so easy. Man, I messed up. Man, forget about messing up. I messed up again and again and again and again. You ever done that? You ever been there? Like you swear, you're like, nah, man, I prayed that up. I'm good. I'm not going to mess up again. And then there it is. <laughs> like, man, I did it again. Because I can't go back to God. I hear this all the time. I can't go back to God because of the shame. 
If anything, that's what should be drawing you nearer to God is the shame and the guilt and the fear and the things that you have in your life. We should be drawing nearer to him, not setting up walls and shame and putting ourselves in a prison, but seeking his face. Man, I've gone too far. My sin's too great. It's too big. That's a lie. Man, you look in scripture, you see the apostles, you see Paul walk around murdering Christians. There's cheaters, there's stealers, there's stutterers, there's liars, there's murderers. And God used them powerfully. Why? Because they didn't allow the walls of shame to be wrapped up around their life. And they did not identify with who they were or their sin or their failure in life. But they let God move in their behalf. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, you just don't know. You're right, I don't, but God does. He could still use you in a powerful way. Still use you in a powerful way. And, and, I, and I got this three parts of a cycle of shame. The first one is you experience that painful event, whether you caused it or it was caused to you. The second is you believe the lie and the pain and the failure is actually who you are. It's a lie from the very pit of hell. Your sin, your failure, that does not identify you. It does not determine your past, or your future rather. But it's supposed to be in your past. Now I'm not saying sprinkle some, I heard this the other day, and I'm not going to mention who it was, but it was pretty funny. But these these little spirit-filled cupcakes where we just take a little piece of it when we want it. But we need to be before him in his presence all the time. All the time, not when it's good. Don't pull the slot machine of, of the Bible and like just figure out what scripture is going to fit where you're at right now. It's the living word of God. So we believe that it's who we are instead of saying that's something that I did. It was something that was done to me. But this, then that's when the shame feeling comes in. Forget about just the foundation. Now the walls of shame are coming up. And what that does is it separates you from your family, from those who are trying to mentor and to pour into you. It separates you from Almighty God. And he's trying to crash down the doors in your life. But you keep developing in, and developing in, into this shame prison. And the third one is this. Our feelings of shame trap us into thinking we can never overcome it. We can never recover it. And we don't deserve to. Man, I failed. I messed up too much. I don't deserve it. Well, guess what? You're right. You got something right. You don't deserve it because it's God's grace, a free gift given to each and every one of us. His grace is sufficient. It's not just, eh, well, I'm going to cover that sin. But, bro, that sin over there, uh uh-uh. I ain't going there. You're on your own on that one. That's not what the scripture says. His grace is sufficient for everything. Now, that should not be justification for you to do whatever you want and just think some Holy, Holy Spirit water or some Holy Spirit goosebumps are going to cover it. But when you come into the presence of Almighty God and there's a change that happens, you repent and you turn from that. And you don't keep going through the cycle. You break those chains of shame in your life. I see people walking around with shame and blinders on, on, over their eyes and over their lives so many times. Maybe even in the church, I know. That's going to hurt some feelers, but you know what? It is what it is. But when your past pain becomes your present identity, shame has claimed another victim. You cannot identify with what your past or what your your failure was. But what are you going to do from this point on? What's your success story going to be? What's your victory in Jesus' name? What's going to happen in your life if you would just get outside the walls, get outside the boat, and dive in? See, Peter felt this. 
shame. He went back to the old ways. He said, man, I messed it up. My ministry's over. I'm going to go back to fish. Can't catch nothing, so obviously I'm not good at it. But then Peter denying Jesus, the crow of the rooster, reminded him of the failure. Is there a scar? Is there a word that was spoken over your life that reminds you of a failure? And instead of turning from it, instead of going, well, just kind of ignoring it, hearing the chains and the clanking behind you, how about you put it right in front of you and say it for what it is and say, in Jesus' name, you are severed. I am healed from that addiction. That past does not identify me. God calls me a son and daughter. Not a sinner, not a, not a, not a this, not a horrible person, not, not a, a hellion little child drawing crayons on the wall. And No, you are a son and a daughter. Maybe it wasn't a crow. Maybe you have a physical scar that reminds you of that failure. Maybe you have an emotional scar that reminds you of that failure. It brings you back to that place of shame. If you don't deal with it, and if you don't put it in the presence of the Lord, it's going to follow you forever. I'm not just preaching off, off notes. I'm preaching from life. Identify for what it is. But it is not you. You are not that failure. You are not that sin. It's getting quiet in here, church. Mm. But see, we got to be like Peter. And we got to refuse to identify. Let this identity. He could have been branded as a traitor. Man, you said you knew scripture. You walked with Jesus. The moment things got thick, man, you denied him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Are you serious, Peter? And we're here supposed to listen to your word that you just came in the presence of Almighty God. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to listen to you who denied him when he needed you the most. He could have stayed in that shame. He could have stayed in that guilt. But he didn't. And God used him powerfully. Matter of fact, Jesus forgave Peter not once, not twice, but three times. Man, the dude jumped out the boat, swam 300 feet to shore, had really no idea if it really was Jesus, but he knew in his heart it was. He said, I'm not going to wait to get on the dock. I'm not going to wait to pick up this 153, 154 fish. I am jumping in the deep water right now, and I am swimming to the shore because I need to get out this boat because it's taking me somewhere I don't need to be, and I need to get on the shore with Jesus to set me on the right path this morning. We need to jump out the boat and get deep with the Lord. He knew he needed Jesus. But man, this gave him this restoration. It gave Peter a renewed passion and courage to preach the message of Pentecost where thousands were saved. And it wasn't because he had eloquent words. Man, he done messed it up and he messed it up bad, right? But God used him powerfully. The, the, the atmosphere, the environment was ripe. Come on, I'm speaking to our church this morning. The environment is right. The atmosphere is right for a revival to happen in this city. Come on, church. It's not because of the words that are being spoken. It's because of the power and the anointing of Almighty God that flows through and changes lives in Jesus' name. Peter, maybe you could put yourself here, but failure, man, it could be transformed from tragedy into triumph. It doesn't have to remain a tragedy. You think of all the most horrific things in society in the world. Forget about your personal life for a second. You can see victory in all of those things. You can see a move of God if you, if you can see it. If you look for it, it's there. A tragedy. But look at the triumph of people stepping up. People praying, donating blood. It doesn't matter what it is. But it will lead to victory. Kingdom victory. Your life can bring glory to God and victory in all areas. 
Not just your finances, not just your marriage, but all of it. Every last bit. He didn't leave one part out. God doesn't make any mistakes. He didn't like, well, I done messed up with that fool. Kick him to the side. That's not God's heart. He loves us all. Even though we were sinners and we would deny him. Some of the most powerful moves of God through a human being in scripture were used with some of the most broken, some of the most undeserving, unqualified people. So if you think you're unqualified, undeserving, and broken, you're in good company. And God can use you in a mighty, mighty way. Because you are free. Not just free, just free to do what you want. But free to be obedient, and then there will be more freedom that comes from that. It doesn't do any good just to pray that the shackles and the chains and the walls and the things would come down. But, man, you got to walk out of them. Man, I never met a guy in prison when the door opened. He's like, you know what, dude? It's pretty comfy in here. I think I'm going to stay. I, I know the door's open, but, man, i got three, you know, three hot meals and, and a cot. Man, this is good. i got television. I can watch Oprah, Dr. Phil all day. I had never heard of that. When that cell opens up, man, that guy is out of there in a heartbeat. Hey, do you need your clothes? Absolutely not. Do you need your money? Nope, I don't need that. I need to be out of here because I'm free. I'm going to take advantage of that. But why aren't we doing that in our walk in life? Why aren't we walking in freedom in our finances, freedom in our marriage, freedom in our whatever workplace situation? You fill in the blank. You're free. Not kind of, sort of, maybe. You are free because of Jesus Christ. It's time we break these shackles. Matter of fact, you know, let's just, can I just have everybody bow their head? I'm not even going to ask for you to raise your hands because you should all be raising your hands, myself included. I'm going to pray that right now, that those walls of shame, those shackles, that guilt, that past, that failure, that that would be broken right now. Those soul ties would be broken right now. And people would be walking in freedom right now in Jesus' name. That they will not identify with their past. They will not identify with their sin. But they are identified by Almighty God. That they are a son, a daughter, an heir of the whole most high king, the whole most God. El Elyon, God most high. God, would you break those chains right now? And more than just breaking them, God, would they walk out of those chains in freedom and share it with every single person that they come across at Walmart, Target, the coffee shop? It does not matter, God. Would they share their testimony in Jesus' name? Amen. But you've got to walk it out. Action. Faith is an action. Didn't do any good in faith. Like, man, we're going to change the world. And all you're doing is sitting on TV watching Netflix. I like Netflix. I like TV. But you ain't going to change the world watching Netflix. The only thing you're going to change is the channel. Come on. But too often we walk around like these victorious kings outside. Man, I know scripture. I spend time with God. I am, man, me and him are like on, on the same page here. I'm good. But inside we're in a personal defeat. You see it, preachers and leaders in the church all around the world. Man, we got this. We can stand on faith. But man, when it gets tough, boy, that gets exposed. Their personal shame. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want God to see that. I, I just think for a moment at Adam in the garden. God called out to him, right? God knew where he was at. It's not like he was searching like, man, where'd you go? You, you hid from me. I can't find you. No. He was calling out to him because he said, you covered yourself. You done messed up. But I want to cover you. Would you come to me? So when God speaks to you, and he's saying, come to me. We need to get out of this place of shame where we're just like, God, I, ah, and walk it and allow him to cover you. Allow his grace to come over you so that you can move into the next in your life. 
See, he wants to change. God wants to change, and he wants to renew our minds and hearts. Well, pastor, how do you say that? Well, it's in Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Not Dr. Phil. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn. Then, after the fact, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is, here it is, good, pleasing, and what? Perfect. His will for you is perfect. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't skip something. Perfect. But I want to be like Peter. I want to be convinced of the truth. How many of you watch TV? Okay, you all read your Bible all day. None of you watch TV. Okay. Praise God. I'm glad I'm in good company. I watched this new show called The Reverie. You ever hear of The Reverie? Weird, bizarre. I watch weird sci-fi stuff. But it's this cool concept of they, they, they get this little tablet thing, and then they say this word, and now they're in, their, their body is in a virtual reality world. But see, the mind, it's tricking itself because it's dependent on what it sees to perceive as reality. Even though it is not real, their mind perceives it because that's what they see. But what does Scripture say? Do we live by sight? No. But too many times we're living solely by sight, solely by what we see. Say, well, that's, that seems impossible. I can't. Yeah, it's impossible because God hasn't intervened yet. God is on the other side of that impossibility in your life. But we need to be reminded. We need to hear and we need to see. If you hear anything I say this morning, hear this truth. You are not your sins. You are not your failures. You are not also not what others have done to you. You are not divorce. You are not the brokenness. You are not the, the failure at work, the failure as a husband, the failure as a father. You are a son and a daughter and an heir of the most high God. But it's how we identify ourselves makes all the difference in the world. God hates sin. But he does not hate you. There's a big difference there. And the world's trying to twist the script, flip the script, if you will, and say, well, because you're against my sin, because you must hate me. You don't agree with my lifestyle, therefore you must hate me. That's actually contradiction to what the scripture says. He loves us, but he hates the sin. He hates the addiction. He hates the lifestyle. He hates the language. He hates anything that separates you and him from him. Anything that separates you from him. He hates it, but he loves you. He didn't say, man, you're just this little hellion, little rebellious, sinning, lying son of God that runs crayons on the wall, throws spaghetti everywhere. Man, God did not identify us that way. You are a son and a daughter, and he loves you. You're changeable. Man, you're capable. Like I said earlier this morning, you feel unqualified? Man, just read through some scripture. You're in good company. None of them are qualified, but they're highly anointed. Why? Because they're obedient to the call of God, and they don't just sit there and say, wow, this anointing is really cool. It's really fresh. No, they actually move in it and preach and teach and share everybody the good news. And not just in the church. It's comfortable to, to talk in church like, man, my Christian brother, right? Like, oh, they won't judge me. But you go to Walmart, man, you better be praying in tongues at Walmart, I'm just saying. You go into Walmart and you see somebody all messed up, they need Jesus. But why aren't we so bold to just, we don't have to sit there and slam a Bible in front of them and say, well, you need, you need Jesus. Yeah, they know they need Jesus. A sinner knows they're a sinner. You don't need to remind them that they're a sinner. I'm just saying. But what they need 
is what the world and what other people are not giving them, and that is love. Because love is God and is of of God. So therefore, if they're encountering love rather than hate, rather than disgust or failure and all these things the world and maybe their family and other people have told them, but they, they react and they're strung out and they're whatever, and you just love on them, you just flip the script in their life. They will encounter you before they encounter Jesus. They will encounter your personality. It's not always good. But they will encounter you because they want to see, well, you, you talk about this Jesus, that he changes, he heals, he delivers, he saves, he baptizes in the Holy Spirit, but your life doesn't look any different than anybody else. So is he really real? I hear this all the time. God's not real. Look at your life. It looks no different than mine. You're getting high, you're getting drunk, you're partying. Your life resembles that of an atheist. It is no different even though you say that you're, you're a follower. Totally off script, but that's for, for a different day. But you're moldable. Pastor, how do, how, do I come over, how do I overcome this shame? The first thing that you need to do is you need to accept the things that you cannot absolutely change. You cannot change your past. You cannot change your future or your, 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 your failures, but you can change your future. What direction are you looking? God does not have a rearview mirror looking, oh, look at your stuff. No, that's the devil. That's the accuser saying, look at their sin. Look at how bad that, man, they couldn't do nothing for you. And God says, uh, yeah, but this is what I, what I have destined their lives to be. This is where I, I'm walking them through. This is what, what we're, we're going to see, and these are the lives that are going to be a change simply because they're obedient. But you can't accept it. See, David, love King David. Honest, man, he, he didn't want his life through a long wash cycle. Man, he got his garbage and his junk and his sin and his failures. It was before God. He, he wasn't content with this like, well, you know, things will just kind of work themselves out. No, he wanted to deal with it then. And he was always humble before God. Repentance. In Psalm 51, verse 1 through 2, then skipping down to 10, the Bible says, have mercy. This is King David speaking. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out my, the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Notice that David did not say, man, God, I didn't do that. Uh-uh, that ain't me. That's that dude over there. I, I didn't mess it up. That was because of that situation. See, in life, I would like to think it's just non-believers, but as Christians as well, we have so many excuses. We don't take personal ownership when we mess up. That's the first step. It's like, you know what? I messed up. Lord, forgive me. But if the change actually happens, it won't be a habitual cycle that, well, grace will cover it. Yes, Grace. Grace is sufficient, but if you're continuing over and over and over and over again, was there really a change in your heart? Was there really a change in your life? Did you encounter a great, a great speech, a great preach, a great worship, or did you encounter Jesus? Because if you changed and you're not in this habitual cycle over, I'm not saying that there's not struggles, but I'm saying if you just think that grace is just going to cover it over and it just gives you the license to do as you wish, it's not scriptural. But when you're face-to-face -face with Jesus, change happens. Just like in the Garden of Eden, 
God knew where he was, but he called to him anyway. He was honest. He said, God, here's my junk. David didn't allow himself to be caught in the guilt trap. Rob him of his joy, his redeemed and restored life. See, David, and we need to be like David. Come on. He knew he, he, knew he couldn't change his past, but he knew he could change his future. And he knew who to turn to. Like, I, and I give Dr. Phil and Oprah a hard time, but man, so many people turn to them. Man, if I could just get on Dr. Phil, man, he'd help me through my stuff. It might last a little bit, but it's not actual change. Because hope is only found, the true, real, life-changing hope is only found in Jesus. It's not found in a pill, it's not found in a bottle, it's not found in a personality. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But don't look inward. Don't, don't get to that mindset where it's like, man, I messed up again, 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 again. I can't, I can't even get to the, the throne room. Forget about the throne room. I can't even come into church because I'm going to burst into flames. We've got to take that mindset out of our minds. Because you begin to build a prison of shame in your life. You need to look upward for healing, restoration, and hope. It starts with forgiveness. I say this almost every Sunday, I think. It's probably a broken record. But forgiveness has absolutely nothing to do with the other person. Zero. Has everything to do with releasing and freeing you. I know some of the most free people that are in prison. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with your past. You are free because you, you forgive and you can be forgiven. Maybe somebody here this morning needs to forgive somebody, needs to forgive themselves. Hey, you know what? Maybe you even need to forgive God because your perception of what you feel like God didn't do in that, in that situation. But it'll set you free from the bondage. It'll set you free from the ties, the unhealthy ties that you have to that situation. So you could sever that and you can move forward. But it's time that we ask the same. Just like on the cross, Jesus asked God to forgive us in pain, unrecognizable, heaven turned away because of the sin that was put on him, but he still asked to forgive us. It's time that we start forgiving others, forgiving ourselves, and so on. You can't undo the wrong, what somebody did to you, what you did to somebody else, but you can start on the path right now. Right now at 1247, according to my clock, you can start a new path right now if you would just turn to him this morning. Forget about all the other stuff. It can change in an instant because that is the power of Almighty God. You say, well, I asked for forgiveness and I didn't get the like, man, we're cool, bro. You got the, yeah, I'll forgive you. It's not going to be instant in some situations. Maybe you hurt somebody so bad that they're having a hard time with the forgiveness concept. Take heart. Keep praying for them because in divine time, God will move on their behalf. They will so he will soften their hearts and change will happen in their life as long as you say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. It's hard to say, well, you need to forgive me when you can't even forgive other people. It's hard for many of us to accept the past as the past because, man, we want to change it. Man, if I had five more minutes... If I could just go back and just tweak this one thing, man, my life would be a rock star. If I could go back and invest in Apple, man, I'd be, I'd be rich, right? We all want to change something in our past. But the past is the past. You can't change it. Why do we dwell in it? Memories are great, but your dreams should always be greater. I'm just saying. I, I love my memories. I've got great memories. But my dreams need to be bigger than that. 
And not only that, but if you, if you don't need prayer for your dreams, your dreams are not big enough because they are not God dreams. You absolutely must have prayer. That God, I cannot meet. I don't even know how I'm going to walk in that dream, let alone see it. But because of you, where my hope is in, you can move mountains in my life. But until you leave the past in the past, you can't make peace with the present or even walk in the future of hope. Maybe you're on the cusp, you're right on the, right on the, the next season, the next ministry, the next whatever. Man, what's holding me back? It's time to stop living in the past and stop living in the present and seeing what God has for you in store in the future. But you can change your future if you allow God to. We need to, un, we need to accept that the past is not going to go, it's not, not going to change but you need to remember you are not what happened. That's a word for somebody. You are not that divorce. You are not that failure. You are not that tatted up prison guy that everybody, whatever. You're not that gangbanger. You're not that, what you fill in the blank. You are not. That is not the identity that God gave you this morning. That's what other people, that's what man, that's what you gave yourself this morning. But you are not what happened. I looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, this means that anyone, highlight anyone who belongs to Christ, has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The past is gone. All, the failure is gone. I'm walking into the newness that God has for me. We have the right to reject the shame. We have the right to walk out of the prison because we have been set free by Jesus. I look in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says, and we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Church, it's time that we walk out of the prison of shame and we walk into fame. From shame to fame. And I'm not talking about Instagram fame. I'm not talking about getting on Survivor of the Voice fame. I'm talking about fame of being known by God. Being known by Almighty God that, that I am, I, 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 what's the song, that I'm famous in my father's eyes. Serve an audience of one. I want to be famous in my father's eyes. I want to go from that shame place of the walls that I build up to something new. Maybe that darkness that you carried around, that thing that clothed you in shame. Did you know that when you break a bone in your body, when it heals, the strongest part of that bone is the fracture point that was healed. It becomes the strongest part in your skeletal system. And the same thing is true in the kingdom. The brokenness things in your life, those are going to be platforms that God is going to elevate you from. Come on, church. Those are areas that he's going to heal, he's going to restore, and he's going to say, all right, go get him, tiger. Go make disciples of men from that brokenness. Because, man, you could reach people in areas that I could never reach because of what you walk through in life and the brokenness and the hurt in your life. Take that shame and past failures. Man, he can amazingly redirect the outcome to glorify him in all things. Yeah, I see his past. Yeah, I see his failure. But man, look what he's doing now for me. And he's changing lives because of the power of Jesus Christ and obedience. We look at Jesus, or Peter, rather, this moment in scripture, man, he just, he messed it up. And took that weak point, that denial. And he changed a generation for Jesus simply because he allowed God to come into his life and restore him. And he wasn't just content with that. He wanted to move forward. See, Jesus took, a, and I shared this first service, but I, I'll, I'm going to be honoring the time here. 
I, uh, so I, I've, been, I've been struggling with this for years, and we all have that place in shame in our life. I mean, I, I hope I'm in good company here, but we all have something that's just, oh, you're just st- still dealing with. And for me, it was some things when I was in the service, saw happen, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but there are triggers in my life. Like oftentimes, well, my wife and I will be watching television, and, and something will happen, and I, I seize up in fear, and I, I, I sweat, and, and my wife's looking at me like, man, you're right, you having a seizure over there? What are you doing over there, son? But I had these moments, and I, and I hid from them because it was shame, because I, I was afraid of the label that it put. I mean, this guy's crazy. He's up in camo. He's up in the mountains. I mean, he's, he's whack job. This is what I was thinking. But instead, I allowed God, God, I, I'm obviously broken to this area. God, could you reveal something in my life? Could you reveal? I don't need a reason. I need a revelation. I need to see something that you see. I need to identify not with that, but what you have called me to and what you call me this morning. And he changed my, changed my life. And because of that, I do not accept. I hear this on Project 22 about the 22 veterans that commit suicide. And I forget it. I don't know if it's every minute or I think it's every minute. Absolutely unacceptable. But see, God had stirred something in my heart. He took that brokenness, and what I thought at the time was a shameful part of my life, but the moment I put it before God, now I'm passionate about it. I I will no longer accept that. I want to reach the veteran community in the city of Caldwell. And not just them, but I just have a renewed passion for veterans in our community. We've got almost 4,000 that are at least on paper that are accounted for in this city alone. Many of them combat vets, many of them struggling with addiction, many of them that need Jesus and they need to know that there is hope for them and that's found in Jesus Christ. But he would take that darkness, he would take that pain and make it a platform. The enemy would be a footstool, just a platform. I'm going to stand on that failure and I'm going I'm to declare to all the world that Jesus is king. That my God heals, my God restores yeah, look at my junk. Man, friends think I'm crazy. Forget about preaching. My friends can't believe I'm a Christian. But that's because of God. That's because of what God has done. Not because of what Eric has done. It has nothing to do with me. But God has changed my life. And I, and I want to close with this. Found in Luke, the scripture found in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Many of you know this with the, the scripture on the, the woman with the issue of blood. And the scripture says this. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could not find a cure. Come up behind Jesus. She touched just the fringe of his robe. Immediately, not later, immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Of course, everybody in the crowd, man, I didn't do it. I denied it. And Peter said, Master, come on, man. This whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately, I want to say that again, somebody deliberately touched me for I felt the healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, again, she was in shame. She knew her situation. She knew she'd been dealing with this for 12 years. She began to tremble and fell to her knees. Man, what a good place to be in front of the Lord on your knees. Come on, church. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had immediately healed Daughter, see the recognition there? He didn't say, sinner, issue with blood. He didn't promote the failure or the sin. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She deliberately touched him. Church, it's time that we don't just, we aren't just okay with just kind of booty bumping God there and just trying to get a little bit, just brushing up. 
But we need to deliberately touch him. We need to deliberately seek him. And, and if I fast forward, and I, I promise you I'm closing. I promise you. I know you guys are getting hungry, and that filet mignon is just sitting in your stomach. Everyone, this message is for everybody. We look later on in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus is going into the dead girl's home with only Peter, John, James, dad, and mom because he cast it out. Man, you guys are unbelievers. You guys don't believe? Get out of here. I don't want you in here. And the scripture says her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what happened. Why? Why was one in public display and why was one not okay to be shared? Because of belief. The woman with the issue with blood believed before the miracle. She did not need to see a, she did not need to see the miracle to believe in Jesus. She looked and deliberately touched him and said, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I know if I could just get my hand on the hem of your garment, I would be healed. We don't need to see miracles for the sake of seeing miracles. Miracles are for the unbelievers. So they could come to Christ and say, wow, man, I, I, your life should be a miracle. Mine is. What I've come from, what I've done, the path I was on, that itself is a miracle. But she believed. It wasn't the measure of her faith. It's not like she had this whole bottle of faith and she stored up. All right, this is the time. Let's go. She just had faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care how much you love. If you do not have faith, you will not please God. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Church, we need to sincerely seek him. Seek him in your finances. Seek him in your marriage. Seek him, seek him in every situation and circumstance in your life. Before I close with prayer, I just thought it would be profound if we could all repeat this and maybe just make this a declaration in our life. I want you to say with me, the place of shame will not remain. Jesus is turning it into fame to glorify him. Jesus is taking me from the place of shame to a place of fame and being known by him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Like every service, I want to send this invitation to anybody that doesn't know him in a personal way. Maybe you've been wrapped up in shame, guilt, failure. You fill in the blank. And now as the time, the environment, the atmosphere, God has been stirring your heart this morning. If you want to turn back to him this morning, if you want to turn to him this morning, say, God, I'm no longer okay living in this prison. The door is wide open, but Jesus is the one that's going to let you out. If that's you this morning, could I see your hands? I want to pray for you around this room. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands, sir. Anybody else? every head bowed, you can put your hands down. Thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed for concentration. And really, I just want this to be a moment between them and God. But I don't want these beautiful people to pray by themselves. Could you repeat after me this simple but yet life-changing prayer? Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me. I welcome Jesus into my life and into my heart. 
I believe your son died on the cross, rose on the third day, and is now alive. From this day forward, I will no longer be controlled by sin, but I will follow you all the days of my life. I am now a Christian, saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. And with every head bowed, I want to pray over all of us this morning. Lord, I lift your people up to you. God, that these words would not just be words that were spoken, but God, they would be challenges, but God, just revelatory word that you had for us this morning. Would it change and would it impact our lives moving outside of the, the church walls? God, would you take us from that place of shame, guilt, and failure and bring us into your victory and your triumphant victory and reach a city and reach a community and reach who it is that you've called us to reach in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. I know you got filet mignon and all that food and you're just hungry, hungry, but if we have never met you or maybe we just don't even know your name yet, my wife and I are going to be in the front for you. We'd love to get to meet you. Don't forget, first Wednesday at the main campus, all campuses get together. Food trucks, multiple food trucks, all kids' services are full-blown this first Wednesday. Bring your money. It costs money to eat, doesn't it? All right, guys. Love you. Have a great, have a great week. We'll see you next week, guys.